You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. The Super Mario Brothers Movie, which came out in 2023. It was directed by Michael Jelenic and Aaron Horvath. It stars Chris Pratt, Anya Taylor-Joy, Charlie Day, Jack Black, Keegan-Michael Key, Seth Rogen, and Fred Armisen. The genre would be animated adventure. I'm about to rule the world. Without your help, the Mushroom Kingdom will be annihilated. That's a god. I fear nothing. You're coming with us. <laughs> We're best friends. But are we? Destroy the Mushroom Kingdom! It is on like Donkey Kong! Only in theaters April 5th. We did PG. Now, this was a genuinely enjoyable 85 minutes of candy-colored environments, silly characters, bouncy set pieces, tired needle drops, lively voice acting, and gentle nostalgia. The nostalgia piece is one thing that struck me watching this with my six-year-old son and kind of a testament to just how varied the Mario brand from Nintendo has been going back roughly 40 years. I mean, my son seemed to notice a completely different series of references than I did. And I've not been a gamer in decades, but I do remember being quite addicted to the side-scroll Super Mario Bros. 1 and 2 on the original Nintendo way back before the turn of the century. Yeah, the olden days. Whereas he's been playing, I think, the 25th version now of Super Mario Kart on my wife's smartphone. I mean, some brands just endure over time. And it's kind of crazy in retrospect that it took all this time for American audiences to be able to finally enjoy a viable feature-length commercial, sorry, story for this very character on the big screen. Which is what really makes this new release from Illumination, The House of the Minions, such a pop culture event. It offers up the rare opportunity for millions of folks who have experienced this character in a variety of incarnations over the past several decades to be able to share Mario and crew as a genuine communal experience. And for the most part, it is by all means successful. The story is very straightforward. The animation is sufficiently appealing and the voice cast all pretty much perform the jobs that they were hired to do, including Chris Pratt as the titular character Mario. Now, would Pratt have been my first choice? Well, does it even matter? He has always excelled at playing seemingly clueless, yet endearing main protagonists. I mean, he already nailed playing the very likable Emmett in the Lego movie, so this was a no-brainer, whether he was using a cliched Italian accent or not. Do not touch that mushroom! You'll die! <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> that one's perfectly fine. That's a little mushroom man. A little mushroom man talking to me. Pleased to meet you. I'm Toad. Ah. Uh. Mario. So this is, uh, this is, this is not a dream? Ah! That hurt, right? Yes! Definitely not a dream. And Charlie Day, he's even better as Luigi. Anya Taylor-Joy is sufficiently sprightly as Princess Peach. If you can finish this, you're coming with me. Watch and learn. Seth Rogen is relatively clever as Donkey Kong. No, 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 
both do that. Yes, we back. Enough with the showboating. What do you mean? They like it. What they came here for? Dance to packs. And you know it too, as soon as you hear Rogan's iconic coughing laugh. Of the cast, though, the one who seems to be having the most fun is Jack Black. He plays the lovelorn Bowser, the main villain. Even bringing some of his tenacious D energy towards performing one original song for the soundtrack at the very end. And I really like this song. Peaches, 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 I Mario, Luigi, and a Donkey Kong, too. A thousand troops of Koopas couldn't keep me from you. Princess Peach at the end of the line. I'll make you mine. Help! Yep, there is nothing subtle about this movie. In fact, you could almost easily call it cynical. But overall, this movie does what it sits out to do. Nothing more, nothing less. It's competently made, and no real effort is made to elevate the material, which is fine. With one exception, which I'll get to in a bit. And this brings us to the categories. The first category, I'm going to start things off a little differently here, but you'll see where I'm going. The first category is Worst Needle Drop. Yes, Worst Needle Drop. This is the worst song or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. Okay, before I get to the score, which I really liked in a different category, let me just say that this movie has what is likely the most tired and lazy collection of overused pop songs for needle drops that I've heard in quite some time. Now granted, from what I have heard, this is something that other animated films from the Illumination brand have been quite guilty of as well. I just have actually not seen any of them since the first Despicable Me back in 2010. So moving forward, as part of this category, I will occasionally be anointing new songs which should be permanently retired as the novelty has now worn off for them as needle drops, even as ironic needle drops. They were each used inexplicably in this movie, and this is not to say that these are bad songs. They're not. Just that they need to be put out to pasture for fresher songs, fresher choices, maybe even from the same artist in some cases. I mean, just as an example, I love the song Take On Me from Aha. But enough already, as it has just recently achieved its recent peak on the HBO show The Last of Us. Great episode. It's just not necessary here. And if we're going to recycle pop hits from that same band, why not use The Sun Always Shines on TV? Just as an alternative. Okay, here's my list starting with this movie. The aforementioned Take On Me from the band Aha. Mr. Blue Sky from ELO. Yes, this song was fresh back in 2004 when it was used for the trailer for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. But since then, it has been used lazily as shorthand for so many triumph montages in a variety of movies, often geared towards kids. Enough. The next one, No Sleep Till Brooklyn from the Beastie Boys. No Sleep Till! Now, I'm a Beastie Boys fan, but I'm sorry. This goes for all Beastie Boys songs from the 1985 album License to Ill. It's been done. And also from the album Ill Communication. 
Yeah, I'm looking in your direction, Sabotage. You see me. (laughs) And nothing against the Beastie Boys. I love them. But how about picking some songs from Paul's Boutique for a change? That is a seminal album. Start using some different Beastie Boys tracks already. And for me, the most egregious from this movie. And that would be Holding Out for a Hero from Bonnie Tyler. Okay, this one is long overdue. And just how overdue is it to retire this song? Well, this song worked only once when it was on the original soundtrack for Footloose back in 1984 for that tractor chicken scene. Good scene. Good song. Then just a few years later, they lamely brought it back in 1988 for the climax of Short Circuit 2, a movie I did enjoy as a kid. And it has been tired ever since then, meaning that this is probably 35 years overdue. The next category would be Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. The gifted comedic actor Keegan-Michael Key is in this movie. He used to be one half of one of my favorite comedic pairs of all time, Key and Peele. And I've always been a huge fan. He just has such a distinctive voice and has portrayed hundreds of memorable characters in various skits throughout the years. Well, disappointingly, his role here as Toad is not one of them, because I could not recall anything he says or does in this movie. Now, to be fair, such is often the case with voice acting and animation. You're often playing a character, and it doesn't always serve the story when you're more obviously just playing yourself. But that still begs the question, why cast such a big-name comedic force like him in this cast if you're really not going to use him? And now for the next category, and I can get a little more positive now. (laughs) The trailer moment. This is the scener moment that best describes this movie. Now, this whole shebang, this whole movie is designed to basically do two things. One, set up an extended cinematic universe for future spinoffs and sequel movies. And number two, inspire audience members to eagerly play their favorite Mario-related game content afterwards. Now, from a financial standpoint, mission accomplished for number one, as the movie is making serious bank opening weekend. And for me personally, the highlights of this movie were actually two side-scroll-like sequences, with my favorite one taking place early on in the Brooklyn of this world, in the early part of the movie. This certainly accomplished number two on my end. From a sideways point of view, we watch both brothers hop, skip, and jump their way through the site of an apartment building, undergoing renovations so that they can get to their first plumbing clients. It's a real kick to watch Mario traversing his way upward past exposed drywall and floorboards, all with playful sound effects behind every bounce. This definitely accomplished number two for me as I found myself later that night revisiting the original Super Mario Bros. game, the NEC version, on my smartphone and having a good time. Though alas to my disappointment, there were no signs of gentrification in that world. Still, just such a fun sequence. And now this brings me to my final two combined categories, which would be the best needle drop, the best needle drop this time, and the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. And yes, I'm combining these two categories because the actual film score for this movie, it's my favorite part. You just could not enjoy any kind of Mario adventure without that iconic music featured during the games. Most of it created and conducted by the legendary Koji Kondo over the past 35 years. My personal favorite, of course, being the theme music for that first Super Mario Bros. game on the original NEC. Yeah, it's hard not to smile when listening to this. (laughs) 
And there is such a wealth of memorable theme music that it makes the previously mentioned insertion of tired needle drops all the more unnecessary. But that's okay because we have a veteran composer on board who strangely I've not mentioned on this podcast before. And that would be American franchise music guru, Brian Tyler. Over the past 20 plus years, Tyler has just been one of those go-to guys when it comes to providing serviceable music to any variety of major film and TV franchises, including The Expendables, Fast and Furious, the more recent Rambo movies, the hugely popular Yellowstone TV franchise, including its various spinoffs, and of course, most famously, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now, not each of these are bombastic standout scores, but the dude just works, and he's just so prolific. Since 2002, this gentleman has more than 300 composing credits. No joke. And for me, some of the real bangers have been his pretty underrated scores for Crazy Rich Asians, previous episode Law-Abiding Citizen, and two MCU sequels, which I happen to quite enjoy more than most folks, Iron Man 3 and Thor The Dark World. Both really good scores. But for the Super Mario Brothers movie, he has truly outdone himself, combining and or augmenting several video game themes, resulting in a soundscape which is, dare I say it, actually cinematic. His music is playful, suspenseful, romantic at points, and genuinely rousing. It's your standard orchestra just all playing at the top of their games. For me, the highlight tracks include Level Complete, which we hear throughout the movie and does a nice job of incorporating that 8-bit sound with orchestral music. And of course, there's the joyous superstars, which we hear just as our two brothers both power up at the same time to defeat Bowser. At the end of the day, no matter how cynical or uninspired much of this movie might be, it was still this music which kept me grinning throughout. And for that reason, Brian Tyler is the MVP. My rating for the Super Mario Brothers movie would be three stars out of five. As far as I'm concerned, the best, quote, video game movie out there right now still remains John Wick Chapter 4, just for the sheer inventiveness of that particular world. But for those out there with affection for the Mario character and this world, a good time should be had by all. And if you're looking to watch the Super Mario Brothers movie, it is now playing in theaters. And that ends another Power Up review. Special shout out to my lovely wife, Marlene Gershon, for producing this podcast, and to my lovely daughter, Ella Gershon, for assisting in the editing. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Cinema.